Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I am Mike. And I'm Justin. And this is episode 105, Super NES Super Famicom Deep Cuts. Now, some of you may be saying, what is a deep cut? And we will get to that in just a minute. But we have a special guest. Our guest today is Mr. Nico, a.k.a. the Wee Guy. Yellow. Yellow. <laughs> so Nico was on Pixel Tunes Radio on episode 26, NES Appreciation with Wee Guy, and also episode 52, Famicom Exclusives with Wee Guy. So, uh, you know, we wanted to bring him back again, and I thought, you know, the perfect thing that we could bring him back for is Super NES and Super Famicom. These are super obscure or relatively semi-obscure tracks that we're going to be playing from and we're, go- we're going to go into a little bit more detail on the Super NES in just a bit. We've never actually covered the Super NES in detail huh. for the most part. We've always kind of touched on it. We've always kind of been like, yeah, you know, this came out for it or whatever, but we never really dive deep into the sound chip. So we're going to take mm. a little bit of time to do that in just a minute. But first, we're going to jump into pixel chat questions. So, Justin, what is our first question? So, from Jeff Leopard, um, he asks, if you had to pick one game to speedrun, which wouldn't would be your, your best? What game would you have the best chance at speedrunning? Haha, jokes on that question. I already have a speedrun game. It's called, oh, it's called Jim Power the Lost Dimension, y'all. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Such a good game. Yes. The only man. I, I, I don't... I, I don't know how it's possible that you do a speed run in that game because you can't go in the game till the beat drop, the, till the bass drops. <laughs> it's true. You have to you have to wait because it's got that 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 heavy that do 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 do, and then it kicks into the that 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 first level track. You can't go until that that until that. we categorize that under the bass drops percent run. Yes, yes, under the speed run for bass drops. What about you, Justin? I do not have an official speed run, but thinking back, I think the only the only game that I'm really know that I've hundred percented is Super Mario World on the SNES. Okay. Uh, I've played that game inside and out. Mm. I don't I don't really know how good my speed run would be, but I think it's the only one that I actually have a chance at speedrunning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I I it's very difficult for me to speed run games because I, I'm always the type of person that likes to get everything in a game. Yes. So, like, I'll kill every enemy, I'll get every power-up, even if I don't need it. So some of the games I'm, I'm really good at that I can play fast. Um, Ninja Gaiden 2 is mm. one of them on the NES. Uh, maybe Metroid, but I doubt it. There's people that have blown through Metroid like in 14 minutes or some stupid thing like that. So I'm not even going to go there. But I would say there's two games that I can beat pretty quickly, and that is uh, Robocop on the NES and Karate Kid on the NES. I could beat both of those in under 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Super, super quick. Um, But yeah. All right, so our next question comes to us from John Jekyll, and he asks, what is the one game you are a master at that is hard, but you can beat easily? <laughs> so kind of along the same lines. Yeah. What what, what about you, Nico? What's what's your vote on this? Well, there is this one game I uh, play that I think I'm really good at. It's called uh, Jim Power the Lost Dimension in 3D. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, that game is brutal it is very difficult i can attest to that what about you justin it's kind of along the same line yeah i i would i would probably not say well i mean a game that you were a master at but is uh but is hard yeah. I, I wouldn't call super mario world particularly hard no no um, i'm also not really sure 
how many games I'm good at that that are actually hard. Right. One that we'll touch on later is kind of my favorite on the SNES called uh, Gradius Three. Yeah. Uh, it's not particularly an easy game. I don't I don't know how many people would consider it hard, but I used to play the hell out of that. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah, that's that's tough. Again, I always thought that Ninja Gaiden Two was the easiest of the NES games, but I would say I'm, I'm I've gotten fairly good at the game to the point where I can kind of blow through it with maybe only losing one life. Um, I feel like all the Ninja Gaiden games are actually fairly hard. So I, I, yeah, I think, I think that's a it's a it's a good pick. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna say that. Okay. And now we have a question from your your wife, Justin. Why don't we do the honors? <laughs> So, Ariel asks, if you could master an instrument you don't currently play, which would it be? And why if there's time? I, I guess drums. I, I would really... Actually, I would say... Uh, so, I, I played drums for several years, and uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not, like, amazing. I can hold a beat, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not, like, a whiz or anything. I don't even have my own drum set. But if you give me a drum set, I'll sit down, and I'll definitely, like, you know, mm. uh, play or whatever. But I would say the bass. I've bass always guitar. wanted to learn bass guitar, so I would say that. Yeah. Nico? I don't know. I've never been much of a person for learning an instrument. If we could count, like, the, I don't know, the NES sound chip as an instrument, I'd like to learn that. Compose oh, music. Okay, okay, that's respectable. <laughs> there, there are people that, that, that play the uh, the consoles like instruments. Uh, yeah. Chipocrit. I, I, saw, I saw him in concert. Yes, um, yeah. And he, he plays... The Game Boy, like an instrument. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right, Justin. I play a lot of instruments. This is actually hard for me. <laughs> saxophone. I've never, I've never actually played a saxophone. Okay. It's and I, I do like the the jazzy sounds of the sax. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. I guess my my pick is more like rhythm based. Yeah. Because you know I got the background for it. So Joe Dunbar asks, who who is hotter, Dixie Kong or Miss Pac Man? <laughs> wow. That's 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 tough. I'm half excited and half disgusted yeah that that i'm gonna pick anything I, i'm gonna go dixie kong because she's closer to human <laughs> I, and, yeah. and, and also miss pac-man for whatever reason reminds me of my grandma so oh god i, I don't know yeah what about you, you nico uh, eat a lot of nuts. yeah yeah <laughs> well my grandma's no longer with us unfortunately but fair, fair. <laughs> she she did like the candy dots i guess i don't know yeah. nico uh, Oh, it was a Dixie. She was in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why not? Yeah, yeah. Diddy Kong's sister slash love yeah, interest. Yeah. The, the weird unknown information on that. The, the weird unknown pink pink. Yeah. Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Justin, I, I'd, I'd have to agree because of the the closeness to being human. <laughs> it's it's that it's that luscious blonde hair. Yeah. And the ponytail. It's also it. hard for me to find a circle attractive. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Joe, for the question. Henrik Anderson. Writes, if you could be half man, half sausage, which way round would you have it and why? Well, I'm already half sausage. Ayo! <laughs> uh, I, I guess I would want my bottom half to be half sausage. I guess. So, so you'd pull yourself around? On yeah, your yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you can't play video games with your feet, really. You know? And then, you know, you could still procreate, I guess. <laughs> You could still have fun. Depends on how that sausage works. Hey, oh, <laughs> uh, Justin. That's that's something. I I, I, don't, I don't I don't know that I have an answer for that. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna say top half sausage. Just uh, just just to just to be different. Just to be different. Okay. Um, it'd be plus uh, the the idea of a sausage top half running down the road. <laughs> yeah, seems really fun and amazing. Yeah, top half kind of wobbling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nico. 
Yeah, my legs are already big and beefy like sausages, so I guess the bottom half. Nice, <laughs> excellent. Our final question comes to us from uh, Nico, aka the Wee Guy. Uh, Nico, why don't you read this one? Oh, uh, jeez, I didn't have it prepared. I didn't think I would be asking it. Uh, I, I got it. It's yeah. really quick. Okay. All right, my question from 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 me to you guys is: Hey, it's me, Nico, the Wee Guy. Of all the unreleased games with no ROM dump, which one would you like to see? Also, and yes, hi, future me. me. <laughs> Yeah, you can't forget that part. Very important. Um, all right. Well, you clearly have a answer. So yes. Go for it. Uh, Moto X on the Super Nintendo because it's I think the only okay. Tim and Jeff Fallen soundtrack we don't have. So I would like that one okay. just for that sake. I mean, the game looked cool as well for the two videos that are on YouTube of it, but yeah, I would like yeah. Moto X. Now, uh, l let me ask for clarification. What if it's a game that was worked on but was never released? Yeah. So it was never completed? Does yeah, that count? If like you could still play the finished yeah, you can product. extend to that. All right, so my answer for this is there is a game that was never released and it was uh, developed by 3DO and a company called Four Horsemen Entertainment and the game was called uh, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and it was supposed to come out on the GameCube, yeah, PS2 and Xbox and also I believe the PC. And the game was going to be, basically, you play as uh, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but they were, like, real humans, basically. So there was, like, a, a, a priest who was, like, fallen. There was a, a stripper. There was, like, a, a, a couple other characters or whatever. But this game was really fascinating to me. It also had some really amazing voice talent. Lance Henriksen was going to be in it. He was going to play the character Abaddon. And Courtney Taylor was going to be Jesse. And then Tim Curry was going to be Satan. And then Tracy Lords was going to be Pestilence, who was the stripper character. So, wow. Yeah, it, it looked awesome. But it was like an action survival horror type game. And so it had some really awesome voices that we would have gotten to hear in a video game all together. And just it never came to be, I guess... 3DO closed up shop or, you yeah. know, just didn't work out. So that is, I would love to see that game finished and come out. So what about you, Justin? Not not as easy for me uh, as I am not super familiar with. Uh, unreleased games? Yeah, not, I'm not super, super familiar with uh, a lot of the unreleased games. Although I, I, I do know that there was supposed to be a game for the, um, the SNES and the Genesis released by THQ called Akira based on the manga and the oh, anime. Right. And as a as a fan of both manga and the anime, I would have loved to have actually seen that. Cool. And uh, and heard what they did what they did with it because the soundtrack for the movie was super strange with all that acapella stuff. So yeah. I would have also been interested to hear what they were going to do for the music on on a sixteen bit sixteen bit system. Sure. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you everyone for the Pixel Chat questions. We're going to talk the, about the Super Nintendo in just a minute, but we wanted to start off with some music. So we're going to be picking from Nico's pick. We're going to go round robin with these. This episode is going to feature our longest played track ever <laughs> so yeah courtesy of nico so um we're not gonna play that one first but uh nico what what would you like to play first oh wow i get a, a choice yes that isn't the long one mm. it, that isn't the long one that is the that is the goal oh my well i would say let's go with right off the heels of the question about unreleased games let's go with a track from the green lantern that would have been on the super nintendo Yes, unreleased game. And uh, so that is the high score track, and it's by Mr. Dean Evans, an awesome composer. So let's, let's give it a listen.
that was the high score theme from the unreleased Green Lantern game that would have been on the Super Nintendo by the wonderful, lovely Dean Evans. Yes, such a good song. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this one, Justin? Very nice, very soothing, very relaxing. Um, That's I, how a lot of his tracks are. Yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't seem sort of like a like a high score so, sort of like track like other, okay. other games that, that where they, they they do like the high score thing. It, it's sort of like hey you won and right right like more upbeat. This one is you're like the best. Very very laid back. Like hey you won. <laughs> nice. Hey you won. I was gonna say this this could be the if if there was ever a Silk Stockings game for the Silk Stockings TV show from the from the USA and from the nineties, <laughs> which wow I'm I'm totally dating myself right there. I know I've I've honestly mentioned that show before. I don't remember what episode it was, but I I remember distinctly bringing it up that there was a track that sounded like it belonged on the Silk Stockings for like the title <laughs> music or whatever. But if there was ever a video game that was based on Silk Stockings, this would be the high score theme in my opinion it's just it's a sultry sexy track it's it's yes. it's definitely got those those sexy vibes what do you think uh, nico oh yeah of course i mean dean evans known for for just this sound this is sort of like associated with his super tenor work that you know when he wants it to be i mean obviously stuff like jurassic park 2 doesn't sound like this Sure, just, sure. I could just imagine if this was in Jurassic Park 2, the chaos continues, <laughs> just like this soothing. Yeah. Just like, wow, killing yeah, dinosaurs yeah. is more relaxing than I remember. Be like, hey guys, <laughs> do you like dinosaurs? Do you like sexy yeah, sounds? <laughs> well, then you'll love Jurassic Park mm. by Dean Evans. <laughs> It'd be, it'd but, be uh, it, it would, it would melt your heart. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. But just, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so good. I mean. When I heard this, I was just like, I'm in love. This is the best. Dean Evans can do no wrong. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. Dean Evans is something, man. He has done some really, really incredible tracks for the Super NES specifically. Mm. Uh, Lethal Weapon on the Super NES, which I believe we played before on, I think it was the movie games episode or licensed games episode that I think we did. Jurassic Park 2, The Chaos Continues on the Super NES, Waterworld on the Super NES, which we didn't get here in the States, but Europe did. Flintstones on Super NES, Cool World, Eek the Cat, Pushover. He's done some really, really amazing stuff. Also, he started out on the Amiga in 1989 with his first game, which was Phobia. He also did Hook and Terminator 2 Judgment Day and also Lethal Weapon and Pushover on the Amiga. So he's, he's really kind of that he's got that Amiga sound that he brought over to the Super NES and continued it. His last game was Silver on the Dreamcast and PC, which came out in 1999 and 2000, respectively. So, yeah, Dean Evans, British composer. I mean, very similar to Tim Fallon, uh, I would say, personally. I always, like, listening to this high score track, it reminded me a lot of some of the stuff that you would hear on, like, Spider-Man X-Men Arcade's Revenge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For the Super NES. We actually tried to reach out to Dean Evans a while ago to try to get an interview with him and unfortunately never heard back. But Dean Evans, if you are listening and you would like to jump on and be our guest, you know, if you will, be it in the <laughs> beast style, 
That'd be awesome. Yeah, he started working on uh, games in uh, for Ocean Software uh, in 1991, and he was doing uh, sound effects and compositions. And he ended up leaving to move on to a company called Warthog Games in, in uh, 2000. And then near the end of 2002, he quit Warthog, and he started his own music company called Burn Bray Audio, which he is still currently running at this time. And that's where we reached out to him on, on uh, Broom... Burn Bray's uh, website. So you can check that out at Burn Bray, which is B-U-R-N-B-R-A-E-audio.com if you want more information about Mr. Evans. Uh, now this game, Nico, tell me about it. Well, of course, it was unreleased, so there, and it's uh, special in that it doesn't have any video footage, as far as we know. Um, yeah, there's no ROM, right? Yeah, apparently, no, it's probably burned on some carts sitting somewhere in Ocean's... Well, not maybe Ocean's headquarters, but someone's, you know, Someone who used to work at Ocean, right? Yeah, which is, it's a shame, because obviously this would have been like, you know, standard Ocean fair, like it was a side, would have been a side scroller with some shoot-em-up elements, probably similar to like Chaos uh, Continues in uh, Jurassic Park 2, but uh, Mm -hmm. also would have had some uh, Mode 7 scenes, as shown from the Unseen 64 uh, page on this game. Yes, yeah, it looks like there were some uh, flying, like, shoot 'em up type scenes that you could, you know, like, overhead flying uh, across a planet, which looks really cool, but otherwise it's like a side-scroller, you know, beat-em-up action game sort of thing. Yeah, it's very interesting, considering I think uh, right after this was canned, the programmers then went to do Jurassic Park 2, so... Actually, maybe yes. this this is where, maybe where the inspiration where Jurassic Park 2 had, like, its, you know, its look and style and stuff, maybe. I don't know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, just... Yeah. That's true. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is that uh, a lot of the tracks that he worked on, uh, Mr. Evans worked on, were reused instead for Ocean's Waterworld game, mm-hmm. which was the Super NES game. That could be why that track sounded so much like uh, something from Waterworld. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good track, great composer, definitely very underrated in my opinion. Oh yeah, considering it's something that doesn't have an actual game attached to it, you have to know the composer probably mostly to even yes. find this track. Exactly, exactly. All right, so let's move on to Justin's pick. What do you got for us, Justin? So this next track is going to be from the SNES game Daffy Duck The Marvin Missions. It was released in 1993. The track is titled 20,000 Martians Under the Sea by uh, composer Jim Hedges. Alrighty.
Welcome back. That was 20,000 Martians Under the Sea off of Daffy Duck the Marvin Missions in 1993 by composer Jim Hedges. So... Yeah, that was <laughs> something. Yeah, it's definitely an odd pick. Um, there, there's not... <laughs> please, please fill me in. Why? <laughs> That's all I'm going to say is why. So this one is... Like I said, it, it's definitely an odd pick. It, it sounds like a, a very strange song. Um, as I was looking through some of the games that uh, that I was familiar with that uh, that I thought were a, a little bit more on the unknown or ob- ob- obscure side, mm-hmm. um, this game came to me as it was one of the games I used to play when I was a kid, partly because I didn't have much else to play. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, had a, I had a decent collection of games, but sure. as my collection grew, this game is one of the ones that went to the wayside, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, is sort of sort of unfortunate because as, as we were replaying it recently, it it's not a bad game by any means. Yeah, I was actually very impressed visually with this game. The visuals are very they stand out. They're very crisp, clean looking Looney Tunes style graphics that are all really bright and good, like really crisp looking. Mm-hmm. So I was very impressed with this game visually. We I think we only played the first. Two like stages. two stages. Yeah, because th- this is the second world or right. whatever. Yeah, the first world takes place in like a volcano. Yep. And you're playing as Daffy Duck, also known as... Uh, Duck Dodgers. Duck Dodgers, right. And so you're, you're playing as him and, you know, he's just trying to defeat... Marvin the Martian, I guess. Right, right. Mar- Marvin is... They're, they're called the Marvin Missions because each each major mission, it, Marvin is doing something that uh, that, that is ticking people off. Naughty. And, and, uh, yeah, and uh, Duck Dodgers is out to stop him. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as this track in particular, a, a lot of the tracks on this game are, are very sort of um, ambient and not not that they're hard to listen to, mm-hmm. um, but there's not much really going on there. Jazz Odyssey, I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Spinal Tap. I know I've made this reference before, but very all over the place, almost like an acid jazz kind of sound to it. This is the track that I'm going to hear when I die, I feel. Because this specific track? I feel like this track would play while I'm falling down the stairs, breaking my neck. Oh my god. That's what I picture. Wow. I don't know. Nico? That's, That's an interesting take. Thoughts? It was certainly music that you would hear in the background of a game. That's for sure. <laughs> no. Yes. It's uh. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like it at first when I listened to it. I was just like, this is just a bunch of nonsense. But um. <laughs> but then of course I looked at the game and I was like, you know what? All right. You know this this very much fits for the game. You know yeah, the game looks good and for this style of music that I'm sure the whole soundtrack is like. Of course it it definitely fits. You know I can't can't expect my Euro arpeggio synth sound that I would want in all my games, but yeah. I mean, for this game, it, I think it I think it works well. I probably wouldn't ever listen to it again on my own, but sure. you, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, you want the deep cuts? Justin provided. Yeah, no, this is definitely a deep cut. Uh, so, yeah, deep cut, let's talk about that. Oh, yeah. um, deep cut is essentially a term used in music for a track that you wouldn't normally hear, you know, uh, it's not the Mario's, the Zelda's, the Metroid's, you know, the, the super popular stuff. That's the, the reason why we call this one Deep Cuts. Uh, we wanted to showcase some of the potential abilities that the Super NES and Super Famicom had. A um, little bit about the composer, Jim Hedges. He started working on uh, Tasmania under uh, the music of New Romantic Productions. That was back in 1992. Kind of jumped around uh, from place to place. He worked on Taz and Escape from Mars on, in 1994, so kind of continuing with that Looney Tunes-esque vibe. Bugs 
bunny ram- rabbit rampage in 94 you also did cadillacs and dinosaurs the second cataclysm in 94 which was that full motion video cadillacs and dinosaurs game on the sega cd he did the gameplay music for that x-men 2 clone wars now he didn't do the soundtrack to that but he did sound on it like sound design also did nightmare circus and mr bones in 1996 for mr bones he's labeled under smpc music i don't believe that he was the composer on the game but uh he probably had a hand in sound because we did talk about mr bones on the saturn episode that we did with uh, saturn around the world uh he also worked on two games that we talked about very recently gex 3d enter the gecko and gex 3 deep cover gecko uh he helped with music composition and sound on that which uh the composer john baker that we interviewed back on episode 103 Mm-hmm. Uh, worked on as well. So yeah, we just talked about those recently. Anyways, uh, jumping way ahead, his last game was Legacy of Kane Defiance in 2003, where he was an audio lead. He's also been thanked for Tomb Raider Legend uh, in 2006. So mm-hmm. most likely he did some sort of sound support in some way, shape, or form on yeah. that one too. So, uh, Super NES, it is uh, a beast of a machine when it comes to sound. Uh, it has a chip in it called the S dash SMP and that's an audio processing unit that is uh, consisting of an 8-bit SPC 700, a 16-bit DSP, a 64 kilobyte chip of SRAM uh, which is shared by the two chips and a 64-byte boot ROM. Uh, Now the audio subsystem is almost completely independent from the rest of the internal components of the system itself. Uh, It's clocked at a nominal 24.576 megahertz in both NTSC and PAL systems, and it can only communicate with the CPU via four registers on bus B. Very super technical. Yeah. I wanted to. I'm gonna say you want to break that down a little. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The only thing that you really need to know at this point is that, uh, believe it or not, it was designed by Ken Kutaragi and manufactured by Sony. People who know who Ken Kutaragi is, he was basically the, the father of the PlayStation. PlayStation. Yeah. So yeah, before Sony worked on their own system, they worked on the Super NES, yeah, which uh, ma- makes a little bit of sense actually, considering the. The stuff that happened later with the Play Space Station yes. that became the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about the chip as we go along. Uh, but it, really, this episode is about showcasing the different uh, uses that the uh, sound chip can have. Uh, it's it, it's capable of producing like PCM samples, uh, which for the most part are usually pretty clean, very crisp sounding, unlike the Genesis, which are uh, oftentimes very muddy. It really depends on who has the chip in, and who's working on it in terms of the composers. Um, we've talked a lot about that in recent episodes, like the John Baker episode. We talked a little bit about PCM samples mm-hmm. uh, there and also on the Matt Furness episode uh, where we talked about the Genesis PCM samples and things along that nature. So, yeah, we talk about PCM samples fairly regularly here. <laughs> All right, so let's get into my pick. Uh, this is a headbanger, if you will. This is Imperium, and it's the 1992 release. Uh, the track is called Base of the Sea. And we did get this one in the U.S. It's a track by Tenpai Saito, Tatsuya Sato, and Hiroki Uematsu.
Welcome back! That was Imperium, also known as Mobile Armored Dion in Japan. That was the 1992 release. Base of the Sea was the name of the track. It's the second stage. And that's by Tenpai Sato, Tatsuya Sato, and Hiroki Uematsu. I don't know if Tenpai and uh, Tatsuya were brother, sister, or whatever. I believe both of those are male composers. But yeah, really good track. This is right up my alley. It's got those Mega Man X supercharged guitars, oh, yeah. the super shreddy guitars, and then I wasn't too big of a fan of the organs. I always felt like they were very weak in this track. Hmm. They just kind of like kind of pitter patter in, and I, I felt like they could be a little stronger, maybe like Super Castlevania IV's organs, you know? Mm, yes, yes. But the drumming is really tight here. So yeah, what do you think about this one? The I mean. It, it, it's definitely a, an awesomely driving track. Uh, I'm trying to remember because I feel like we we heard it when we played through, and I'm trying to remember what point it was. It was the background music one of the levels, right? Uh, the second stage. Second yeah. stage. Yeah. Yep, yep. So I mean the the. The, the whole thing is just very, very driving and very fast paced. Yeah, like you said, the, the, the guitar is front and center, yeah. the star, the star of that entire song, um, and the bass too. The, well, the bass too. Uh, the, the bass is like the driving factor behind a lot of it, but like right. the 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 shredding, uh, as, as you <laughs> described it, on, on the guitar uh, portion sounds awesome. Um, like I was saying during while well, we were playing the song, uh, I feel like I want to hear an actual like live version of that played on proper yeah. drums, bass, guitar, because. It's a rockin' song. Yeah, our, our good buddy Retro Shred should should jump on doing a, a, a cover of this because it, it would be right up his alley, like super shreddy guitars. The the bass, I will say, is very like slap bass style, mm. uh, which is uh, pretty consistent with the Super NES. Like a lot of the tracks were more like high end, very like super slap bassy. Yes. Uh, and and so that that fits here. Like I said, I feel I really do feel like this track. They, they ripped the sound font, if you will, from, or sound style, if you will, from the Mega Man X games. It sounds right out of, uh, right out of them. So, uh, Nico, what do you think? <gasps> oh, yeah, I dug this right when I heard it. I was like, yeah, I can get down on this, especially <laughs> for the type of game that this is for a, a top-down shooter. It uh, yeah. fits very well, and I was definitely like, yeah, I'm getting Mega Man X vibes from this, even though this was a year before Mega Man X came out and because Mega Man X was 93, so mm. uh, you could definitely be like, oh yeah, this is totally a uh, demo Mega Man X track. Can't you tell? Mm-hmm. Like, you could trick someone into yeah. thinking this was like supposed to be in that game, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I very much liked uh, it. I, I'd like to point out that the box art says, get ready for a heavy metal explosion <gasps> for the Super NES version. Wow. So it's 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 kind of uh you know they they knew that they wanted to make something that was powerful sounding yeah. like this. So this could totally be covered um, by a heavy metal band just like that's shredding oh, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Uh the game is a shmup. It's vertically scrolling. It's for the most part okay. It's it doesn't really stand out to me. I didn't really find it engaging or I mean, I had fun playing it, and I would love to keep playing it, but I didn't find it, like, standing out amongst the sea of, of side-scrolling shooters. Right, so. not like uh, like Felios or something. Right, right. <laughs> Felios! Why? So, uh, this game takes place in the year 2027, which was funny because I, it didn't even click for me until while we were playing it, Justin was like, yeah, oh, that's, that's in 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, it is in 10 years. We're so old, um, <laughs> uh, but actually, it's less than that because the when this is coming out, it'll be 2018. 2018. <laughs> yes, so 
We are recording on New Year's Eve currently, so yeah. Mm. Fun times. So the Earth is attacked by this planetoid space fortress called Zektron. And so everything's getting uh, destroyed by these Zektron forces. And so an underground group of uh, rebels, they have developed a small mech called something, uh, it's called Dion. Dion. It's called Imperium in the US version. And so it's aboard uh, a mothership called the Leona. And so the, I guess this D- Imperium ship is super powerful. And despite its smaller size, it's a very colorful game, like visually mm. speaking, for a shmup. Normally, shmups are kind of dirty, kind of dingy in most cases. But this, I mean, when you're flying over, first off, your ship is multicolored as well. So yep. it kind of looks like a Gundam. Yeah, a little bit. In, in a lot of ways. But visually speaking, uh, you know, you're flying over the city. And it's going, scrolling by really fast, but you see like all the little individual houses and stuff and... I thought the overhead view on that first level was really cool. Yeah, so. they put a lot of detail into it, which, yeah. was, which was pretty cool. And I mean, it, it is sort of a, a, a standard shmup. Uh, this I know you were not a big fan of the fact that you, that there's no like immediate lives or whatever. It's basically okay. Yeah, it, it was it was that one where they, there was the uh, you pick up different weapons, yeah, you switch between them, and, uh, and and then you sort of have them, which was cool. Like you didn't you don't run out of the weapons or right. as far as as far as we saw. Yeah, no, but the, yeah, the you get what one life and four, five bars of health, and yes, uh, and then that's it. Game yeah. over. Yeah, game over. <laughs> and then you can continue. Like when it when it makes you go back to the main screen of the of the game, and then there's a continue option that pops up. But like it's just kind of annoying. I don't know. You you can only use the continue option four times, from yep. what I understand. So that's. That means you have four lives, right? Basically, to beat the entire game, like that's brutal. Yeah, that's brutal. That's brutal, McNoodle. (laughs) What do you think, Nico? Yeah, I uh, mean, for uh, I'm not sure Vic Tokai was familiar much with like shooters because I can't think of any they even did on the NES or other consoles. So Uh, I I mean, this was like uh, the first. He only he Vic as a person. He only published it. Uh, the developer was uh, J- Joe Rudin. Yeah, so, like Jordan, uh, except. Yeah, yeah. They, they've worked on a bunch of Super NES like shooter type stuff, uh, including Mustia, and also uh, Alien vs. Predator, which oh, is a ooh. game we're going to be talking right. about in a little bit. Yeah. So, well, well, I want to talk yeah, about like yeah, yeah the name like Victor guy putting their name on like this type of game, but yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean considering you know D Force was the year prior, this definitely is a step up on that type of game. Right. Though, right. Just, yeah. Force was pretty good. Decent. All right, but early Super Nintendo yeah. affair. But also considering sure. two months prior, before this game actually released, kind of had this advantage there too, being like, "Hey, look at this top-down shooter, doing all the crazy well, stuff." Well, yeah. Anything Konami did was gold for the most part on <laughs> yeah, the Super NES. Probably unfair so, to compare, yeah. but just in the retrospect yeah. of the shooter, uh, SNES shmups, you know, there was all that. Yes. But as far as this game goes, I would give it the Nico seal of approval to at least play and check it out and yes, hear the rest of the music. Absolutely. So uh, Tenpai Sato and Tatsuya Sato did not actually work on all the same games, believe it or not. Tenpai Sato worked on a bunch of titles, including Exile in 1988, Deathbringer in 1988. Uh, we're going to jump around here. Task Force Harrier EX in 91, Fiend Hunter in 93, uh, which that was casting produce. I'm not sure what that is all about. They, they there. cast the produce, like the lettuce. And the yeah, produce. yeah, yeah, yeah. The pickles, the cheese. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes. 
Always got to bring up pickles and cheese on a Nico <laughs> Wee Guy episode. <laughs> Definite pickle. Lapuchel Tactics in 2002, which is a pretty neat mm. uh, strategy RPG. Uh, Makai Kingdom Chronicles of the Sacred Tome in 2005. Uh, he worked on a lot of Disgaea games like Disgaea 1 and Disgaea 2, uh, and also the spin off Prinny Can I Really Be the Hero oh my in God. 2008? Which I, I love the. Uh, the Prinny Penguins yeah. in that game. His final oh. game, uh, he did the opening theme called I Know Noise, and that game is Trillion God of Destruction in 2016. Uh, and he also did Witch, The Witch and the Hundred Night Revival Edition 2016 as well. So he's with that company, uh, NIS. And as this is a, a music-based podcast, I'd also like to point out um, a game that actually has a special place in my heart um, called Rhapsody, a musical adventure. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I, I just noticed, with all the other Atlas stuff on there, I don't know why I was surprised to see that, but mm-hmm. um, he did the music on that game, and that game came with its own soundtrack mm-hmm. and was pretty good. If you, uh, Definitely. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Tatsuya Sato is labeled on this for audio as well, um, but he's only ever done Imperium and Magna Braban Henreki no Yusha. Yeah, in 1994, he was assistant composer on that one. He's done other video game related stuff, like he did design on Beach Spikers Virtual Beach Volleyball in 2001 for the GameCube. He did some programming and engineering work on the Earth Defense Force series, So, and also he did enemy and demo program for Streets of Rage 2 and Daytona USA in 96. So, kind of a program guy on that one. Uh, what about the last composer? Hiroki Yunamatsu, also a, a fairly slim uh, roster, did audio for uh, Imperium, as well as a couple of Tales games. Tales of Zillia 2 in yep. 2014, and Tales of Berseria in 2017. Yes, yeah, that uh, fairly recently came out. That's uh, supposed to be a really cool game. Mm-hmm. I need to check that one out. So that's it. That is Imperium. So why don't we move back up to the top of the roster. Nico, what you got for us? <sighs> oh boy. All right. I think you're going to like this. I guarantee it. This is the main theme to Stone Protectors released in 1994 on the Super Nintendo, of course, by Steve Duckworth. Steve Duckworth. Let's hit it.
that was the main theme to 1994's Stone Protectors, at least on the Super Nintendo, by Steve Duckworth. <laughs> yeah, this was something. This was like the ghost of Tim Fallon. <laughs> a little bit. Like, yeah. I mean, Tim Fallon's not dead, but if he... <laughs> well, his music I, career. I feel like, yeah, well, true. But I, I, I feel like... Steve Duckworth channeled the inner spirit of Tim Fallon in order to showcase his awesome talents. But I, I just love how it moves from instrument to instrument. Yeah. And it really just kind of highlights, it It peppers out throughout the entire track, just like highlighting how good the, the organs can sound, how good the bass can sound, how yep. good the guitar can sound. Every it's instrument. The drums, yeah. Yeah, every instrument is highlighted in this track. It's it's really brilliant. Yeah. It sounds really, really good overall. I mean, for, for a SNES track, it sounds very clean. Like I said, you, you can hear the instruments very well. They're, they're really well showcased. Mm -hmm. And it actually sounds better than the theme that it's that, that's imitating. Like it, yeah. it's, it sounds better than the theme of the stone protectors right yes. yeah uh, but you can definitely hear that stone protectors yeah. right yeah i remember that theme song i remember the cartoon uh it's basically the whole thing is just trolls but for boys <laughs> buff male trolls yeah, yeah buff buff dude trolls with, yeah with, with the shorter hair and lubed and... up with crisco and you know <laughs> Ready for basting? I don't know. What? What? <laughs> ready what, for basting? Ready for basting? Uh, what, what? What did you think, Nico? What did I think? Why'd you pick this one? Yeah. What, why'd you pick this one? Because I think it's just one of the best like main themes on the Super Nintendo. I just, as you said, like all the instruments just being shown off and just ha the overall sound is just so clean and just rocking and just and Steve Duckworth. I mean, man. He's, he's good. Like you said, channeling like that fallen vibe. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's actually been pretty, like, he's been doing a lot of stuff. I mean, his first game was Stone Protectors in 94. But, you know, he continued with Family Feud, Dino Dinny's Soccer in 94. <laughs> he actually worked on Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo in 95. Probably like a 3DO port or something like that. Yeah. I don't think he, yeah, I don't think he worked on the Super NES version. But it's possible. Uh, Maui Mallard in Cold Shadow in 95. Duke Nukem 64 in 97. Disney's Hercules in 97, which was a pretty cool game. Jumping around here. 40 Winks in 99. Crash Bash in 2000. You know, he's done a bunch of other games, just all different types. Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy in 2003, which was a pretty good title. Did a lot of stuff for Disney. G-Force yeah. in 2009. Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End in 2007. He did original and re-recorded in-game music for that. Uh, his final game is 2012's 007 Legends. And he also worked on GoldenEye 007 Reloaded in 2011. So, yeah. He's he's kind he's for the most part been a licensed games guy, other than a few examples. But yeah, yeah, uh, looks like he's jumped jumped around from like Midway to probably like Sony and also Kemco. Uh, well, Kemco uh, published this uh, Stone Protectors game, right? Yes, with a Eurocom as the developer, right? Which, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you watch the show, uh, Nico? Back did in the I day? watch the show? That is the question. Yeah. Yeah. This is the question. I uh, I watched the first episode, and okay. was uh, <laughs> not impressed. No, it's nineties. No. you know, nineties. Nineties flair. Uh, t turtles ripoffs. You yeah, know. but uh, it made me appreciate the tell game. Tell me about more. the game. 
Yes. Yeah, tell me about the game. The game is a beat-em-up, uh, which I didn't expect, uh, but you know what? Kind of makes mm -hmm. sense, actually, now that I think about it. Um, sure. I definitely uh, appreciate the game more. Like, the intro was actually pretty well uh, faithful to, like, the cartoon and how it started out. I mean, it's a little, like, you know, can seem a little awkward, but I mean, it's... I think the developers at least knew what they were basing the source material off of. But yeah, you have like your the, the six characters. Uh, what is it? There's Cornelius, Chester, Clifford, Angus, and Max. Oh, it's five, not six. But uh, still, mm -hmm. you get to choose between but the five stone protectors and just start beating up some bad you're, guys. You're the sixth one, Nico. I'm the. <gasps> I'm. Yeah. I need to have him make up a cool name. I need to be like. Uh, yeah. Like Brut Nico the Wee Brut Brutus. Oh. <laughs> Brutus, Brutus. Yeah, that fit in the with the other names. <laughs> no, you would be, you would be Nico. Oh, Nico, Nico the great wee guy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, be, I attack with music. Just comes uh, right on my body. You attacked with, you attack with music and and pickles. <laughs> yes, can't forget the pickles. Yeah. And you have a cheese, a shield made of cheese. Ooh, delicious. Yeah, shield yeah. made of cheese. Yes. Yeah. Delicious. It's a, you could give people a delicious beating. <laughs> what color would a stone be? Huh? What color would a stone be? What? Well, yeah. What color would your would your stone be? Oh, it would have to be uh, rainbow colored. Rainbow <laughs> I colored. I parent them all. All the colors. Oh, okay. So you're like the leader. Mm -hmm. You'd be the leader of. Okay. Okay. I I got you. I got you. Yes. Okay. Thank you for okay for noticing this. me as such. <laughs> yeah, man. That's that's how we do here on Pixel Tunes Radio. <laughs> But, uh, we, we label we label our guests with with the art of stone powers. I don't know <laughs> troll powers. Would they be stone powers or troll powers? I mean, technically they're trolls. Yeah, yeah, but but they're they're using stones. stones yeah, I don't know. But, but that, that's how the trolls worked. I that's mean, true. The, the, they, they, they they got the power from the stones. Yeah, because and the trolls had stones too, yeah. right? And, and their tummies. You, you, yeah, you, you rub their tummy and, yeah. and make wishes, and then okay. uh, <laughs> whoever it was Hasbro decided that they wanted to market um, to boys and girls. And right. decided to make a like an extreme masculine version of, of trolls. For yes, whatever. when I think masculinity, I think stone protectors. So do I. Hey. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. All right. That's that's something. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to uh, our our next track. What do you got for us, Justin? All right. So this next one is from the 1993 Alien vs Predator game. Uh, and it is the Spaceport track by Tenpei Sato, uh, Hisayoshi Ogura. All right, let's listen to this 1993 jam, AVP.
Welcome back. That was the Spaceport track from 1993's Alien vs. Predator game on the SNES, composed by Tenpei Sato and Hisayoshi Ogura. AVP? In the his house. In the hizzy. <laughs> what do you think, Nico? I liked it. I just I like how uh, how fast it is and just like those yes. drums, just like yes. keeping the beat going, and then just like the, I guess the shred of like the keyboard sound. I mean, you can shred on the keyboard yeah. basically. Uh, yeah, I, I guess if you could shred cheese, you could <laughs> shred. <the keyboard>. Yeah, <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> Truer words. <laughs> Yeah, this is another game developed by Joroden, uh, who I hadn't even heard of until we started doing this uh, this podcast. <laughs> this one, though, is published by Activision, and I think that's one of the reasons why it doesn't really get a good rap, mm. because most people think, when they think of AVP games, they think of uh, either the game that came out on the Jaguar, oh, uh, yeah. which was the first-person shooter, or... They think of the Capcom beat-em-up, which came out right around this time. It's an arcade exclusive. Yeah. And so a lot of people think that the Super NES version of the game is a port of that game, and it's not. No, I would love a port of that game on the Super NES, yeah. but unfortunately, it did not come to be. No, this this game was really fun, though. Um, it, this is another one of the that the handful of games that I had when I when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Not really sure what uh what what made my parents say that. Oh, Alien vs Predator is a good game for a child. Hey, this but, kid Justin, <laughs> he's a good kid. Let's give him AVP. But but it, it wasn't it wasn't very bad. I mean, that compared- was your mom, by the way. Uh, yeah, good, yeah. Good, good, uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty accurate. And your dad was like, I think that's a great idea. Let's get Justin a game where you beat up aliens. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as far as violence goes, it wasn't it wasn't super violent. Like, it wasn't like Mortal Kombat blood everywhere violent. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it's a beat-em-up, and beat-em-ups are inherently violent. Yes. But uh, the, the game itself was, was pretty good. I mean, as far as plot goes, the story itself takes place on, um, or it starts out on Vega 4, where human workers are digging in a subway tunnel, and they accidentally uncover some xenomorph eggs. Of course. Uh, and then the predators are like, hey, we want to kill those guys because we, like, uh, we like hunting things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you make your way from from Vega Four through different like parts of the city and mm-hmm. the um, sewer to end up on a spaceship and then you end up on like the alien homeworld Big Apple three a.m. Yep, right yep 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 uh, and then and then you kill the Shredder uh, who's teamed up with the Queen right you know. of course absolutely. <laughs> But the, 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 the track itself, um, I just want to say, like, I, I love the way that it opens, like, just with the piano synth runs um, mm-hmm. and how, like, like Nico said, it, it, it's fast. It's very fast pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I, I, I like fast driving songs. Same here. Um, and it's, it's very fast and driving. And, yeah. again, like, you can hear a lot of the different uh, instruments um, fairly clearly. Like, the, the, the drums have are very clearly defined there. The the bass, back to what you were saying in one of the earlier tracks, uh, it's got that slap bass kind of kind of yes. sound. And it's just it's it, it's fast but it's not it doesn't feel hectic to me. It's just No, I agree. Going. It's fast but it's got a purpose. It's it's got a nice drive to it. It's it's got a really solid Japanese action game music mm. sound that we've talked about on previous episodes. Yeah. So I, I really like this one. I'm, I'm going to pick this game up. It's, it's <laughs> pretty cool. So the composers, uh, we already talked about Tenpai Sato, so we're not going to talk about them. But uh, interestingly enough, His, Hisayoshi Ogura is a Zontada alumni. Uh, worked on Legend of Cage in 1985. Worked on Arkanoid in 86. Rainbow Islands in 87. Uh, Jumping Ahead worked on Ninja Warriors in 1988. Uh, Did the, I believe, the arcade version of that. Tracks like Daddy Mulk, like we played on the Ninja episode that we did way back when. Uh, Stuff like that. New Zealand Story in 88. Uh, Jumping Ahead uh, was a composer on Sagaya, which was Darius 2. 
Darius Twin or Darius 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 Two, I believe, is the name of that game. Uh, it's called Sagaya on for whatever oh, reason. Oh yeah. Rastan Saga Two in '89, Continental Circus in '89, Body Body Densetsu in '89. Uh, jumping ahead again, Darius Plus in '91, uh, Darius Gaiden in 1994, Darius Burst in 2009. He was a composer on that. He also was the sound director on a game called Exit, which is a neat little game. And uh, Gun Frontier in 97, he worked on that as the sound director. And Operation Thunderbolt in 1994. So, yeah, he's kind of been all over the place, but for the most part, he's been a uh, Zuntada guy. We probably talked about him quite a bit on the episode that I was not on, which was uh, Ed and Brian did an episode on Taito arcade games. So, most likely, they probably played a track from him. (laughs) So, good stuff. I dig it. So, yeah, so this this one has always been like one of those games that I would see on the shelf at a game store and be like, ugh, Activision, no thanks. Um, but I really, I'm kind of kicking myself now because I really should have picked it up. So this this will be a death. Yeah, Mike, jeez. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? God. Judging a book by its cover. Okay. Honestly, <laughs> speaking of judging a book by its cover, uh, this is Treasure of the Rudras. Also known as, uh, or more prop- appropriately known as Rudra no Hiho in the Japanese version of the game, which was the only exclusive version. Uh, this game only came out in Japan in 1996. The track is Battle for the Fields, and this is by Ryuji Sasai, a Square alumni. Let's give it a listen. of Now That's What I Call Music, Volumes 1 through 20XX comes Now That's What I Call the Super Nintendo. Whoa, that sounds awesome. Such a 90s throwback. Tell me more, radio guy. Sure thing, dude who will buy anything. It's all the sweet sounds and jams from the 16-bit era of gaming. Super Nintendo style. Radical. That's right. Just listen to hits like Donkey Kong Country. Huh. That's weird. That sounded like a bunch of ambient noise. Maybe it was just my internet being weird. Here's another slamming tune from Final Fantasy 3. You mean 6? Whatever. Take a listen. Okay. There's no way that was a glitch. What's going on here? Where's all the rad background music? Now check this one. I call it Now You're Playing With Power. Wait. I know that sound. That was the power button on a Super NES. Are you just recording the sound of someone putting these games into the system and turning it on? Yes! All your favorites are back and better than ever on Now That's What I Call the Super Nintendo. Act now and we'll throw in some additional deep cuts like... 
Unwrapping controllers. Cleaning the carts with a Q-tip. Plugging in the system into the back of the TV. Come on, stupid thing. And of course, getting your parents' permission to call the Nintendo Power Hotline. Come on, Mom! It's only $1.99 a minute! I swear I'll be quick! I just, I gotta find out how to beat Lavos and Chrono Trigger! I am so confused. Great! Call 1-800-255-3700 to place your order today! That was such a good track. That was Treasure of the Rudras. Rudras? 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 Considering it, it, it's Japanese, it's probably Rudras? Rudras? I don't know. But, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it came out in 1996. Uh, it's actually called Rudra no Hito. Or, no, sorry. It's actually called Rudra no Hiho in the uh, Japanese release of the game. Uh, this one only came out for the Super Famicom in 96. Uh, it's an RPG developed by Square, or Squaresoft, as they were more commonly known back then. And the track is by Ryuji Sasai. Uh, Ryuji Sasai, no stranger to the podcast. We played him on the Final Fantasy episode, I believe it was, Mystic Quest. Mm. I think we picked a track from that. He's just an awesome guitar-driven composer. A lot of his tracks that are really impressive, you know, with, with that with that heavy synth in the background, the, the keyboard synth. The yeah. Like in the background. Uh, so he also did Zack the Art of Visual Stage in 89 uh, and Zack 2. So we talked a little bit about the Zack series. It's kind of like Ease a little bit. Oh. Yeah, so good stuff. I love Mystic Quest soundtrack personally, and I really like Mystic Quest the game. I know, you know, some people aren't fans of it, but... Yeah, uh, no, I mean, you, 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 don't, you don't have to shy away. I don't. I didn't like the game. <laughs> um, I do agree that the, the, the music was great. I, yes. And I... And, I have to go back and replay the game at some point because my my hangups on the game were more along the lines of like I, I came from Final Fantasy one four and six right. or as we got them one two and three yep and then this game was just it was so different like being able to see the enemies no random battles mm -hmm. the way the way that the way that things worked it, it felt to me like like Tonka my first RPG type thing <laughs> uh, and I was just like no thank you right um, but I, I had never realized we talked about this at mm -hmm. some point how this was supposed to be like the Final Fantasy for American audiences sure. Or something. Thing. Uh, and it like looking at it from that lens, it made a lot of the, the decisions that they made make more sense. And I'd, I'd actually like to go back and replay it. But yeah. the music was fantastic. Absolutely, and I think that continues here in Treasure of the Rudras. You know that name, by the way, is really only given by I think American audiences. You know, with the game called Rudra no Hiho, uh, or a literal translation of Treasure of Rudra. So it, it's a really interesting game, and beca because it's such a late release in the Super Nintendo's library. I mean, this came out like right around the time of Star Ocean, so it was one of the most advanced RPGs on the system, other than. Star Ocean, I would say, which the first mm. Star Ocean had some really impressive sound technology, uh, full voiced like PCM samples that were, you know, for the most part, pretty crisp, pretty clean. Here, we don't have as much of that. There's no like special chips that I know of that are in this game uh, to make use of like more advanced PCM samples. But 
Uh, what we do have here is really gorgeous, big, giant sprites when you're fighting enemies. Oh, yeah. And what's cool about them is, you know, back in the day of like Final Fantasy II, Final Fantasy III, you would see these really gorgeous sprites that they would have, but they wouldn't really move. They would yep. more like move left, move right. right yeah. But these, uh, you know, we were. Uh, I was very visually impressed because we got to the first like major boss in the game, and it was more like a cutscene than anything because I wasn't really actually fighting him. But his whole body was moving, and it reminded me a lot of Street Fighter Alpha, oh, uh, yeah. or no, I'm sorry, Super Street Fighter Two Turbo mm -hmm. on the Super NES. Uh, there's that cutscene in the beginning where like Ryu's whole body is moving. Oh yes, and then yes. he throws that Hadouken. Hadouken. You know, I was always so impressed by that visually, <laughs> and so to see something very similar to that here in an RPG is just very breathtaking. Yeah, it was very well animated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Nico? Have you played this one? No, I've not. I'm I've not no. one to venture much into the square the line of games, which is unfortunate. You know, everything that they're known for, or just mm -hmm. some of the best like RPGs ever credited to them on the Super Nintendo. And with I when looking at this game, that's the first thing. I mean, aside from the awesome soundtrack, I was like, dang, these animations on these enemies are sweet. Yeah, especially yeah, one boss that had like so many like rotation of like animations on. I was like, dang, this is impressive. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. It it's a very visually impressive game for such a late release on the Super NES. They really pushed the system to its limits uh, mm. as far as that goes. Um, Story-wise, we're not going to get too much into it, honestly, because we really didn't play that far into the game. We basically turned it on and played like the first <laughs> hour or so. Yeah. But essentially, when you start off the game, you're able to pick from three different roles for three different protagonists. And um, it's very similar to uh, Wild Arms in that sense, where you, you yes. could play as three different characters, but in the beginning of the game, you get your choice, which is really cool. So you pick a character, we picked Scion. He was the soldier. So there's three different characters you could pick from. Uh, the soldier's name is Scion, the priestess Riza, and the archeologist Serlent. So depending on who you pick, the story is different. Uh, depending, so you really kind of have to play through the game three times, technically, to get the full picture of the story. Huh. So, pretty cool. The game takes a lot of inspiration from, like, Indian religions. Not like Native American, but, like, like actual Indian, Indian religions, yeah. right? So, like, Hindu... The, the way that it works is there's this concept of the wheel of time and uh, throughout the history of 4,000 years that the world is destroyed and recreated by a by a Rudra. That's the whole purpose of this. So the name's kind of taken from the Hindu god of destruction, Shiva. Hmm. So pretty interesting stuff. It's, it's pretty deep. And uh, what's really cool is that the magic system, the way it works is you can name your own spells. So my buddy Daria, uh, Daria Plays RPGs, uh, she does, did a really fantastic review of the game on YouTube. So definitely check out her review if you want a, a little bit more in-depth understanding of how the game works. But uh, she named one of her spells Butt Cancer. <laughs> and what was funny is the English translation... Um, if you cast the spell for butt cancer, the words butt cancer scroll across the screen. So you could put literally anything you want. Oh, you know, you wow. could put Pixel Tunes Radio as a spell and it'll go across the screen like, I'm going to fight with Pixel Tunes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's super funny. So I, I thought that that was pretty interesting. Uh, there is an English translation of this game. I highly recommend picking it up. Pick up a, a, repro. a repro of it. That's what I did. Uh, it's really well worth it. I, I really want to spend some time on this one at some point in time this year and just like 
really sink my teeth into it because it's a really, really good game and nobody knows about it. Yeah. So yeah, definitely a tasty morsel. So what do we got next? We're going from uh, one Japanese exclusive to another. What do you got for us, Nico? Oh boy, I got something good. This is stage seven from the Super Famicom only release Rendering Ranger R2 released in 1995. Music by Stefan Kramer with additional music by Jasper Olsen. Oh man, let's get funky. That was Stage 7 from Rendering Ranger R2 on the Super Famicom from 1995. That was by Stefan Kramer with additional music by Jesper Olsen, who was also in charge of the music system and sound effects. This track is like, if there was a drug that you could snort and you would just see non-stop color... <laughs> and the color was just pixelated. Like everything turns pixelated. Like your friends, your family, everything. That is the. This is the song that you would need to snort. Sort of like a like a pixelated music visualizer. Right. Yes. This, this is this is it, man. Yeah. Ta- taken, a pixelated music visualizer taken nasally. Yes, taken nasally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or just played stage seven, which, I mean. Boy. Yeah. This. Well, I mean, you know, oh. you could just do that. So, yeah, why'd you pick this one? Because I love it. Um, after <laughs> <laughs> after recently discovering this game, just 
or I mean, I'd known about it, but I never took a look into it, which I don't know why, because this is just is very interesting. This whole game is so interesting, starting off from the fact that this game was designed by Manfred Trends, uh, known for the Turrican series, right, and the right. fact that a game, this game designed, designed by a German man, was released as a Super Famicom exclusive. I think this is the <laughs> only game I know of where it was a non-Japanese developed game that was exclusively released in the Japanese market. One of the few, definitely. Yeah, it's um, so strange. Yeah, it's it's pretty odd that that happened. I mean, I guess one of the reasons why is the game took a very long time to be finished. I mean, it, it was a pretty late release in the uh, SNES's library uh, or Super Famicom's library. Mm -hmm. I mean, 95, 96, you know, you're kind of really stretching things thin at that point. Um, most people had moved on to the PlayStation and the Saturn. Uh, and uh, later on, they would move on to the N64. Uh, the 3DO was also out. The Atari Jaguar oh, wow. was kind of wrapping up as well at that point. So, you know, you had a lot of systems kind of coming in and coming out. You know, it's kind of like a revolving door, if you will. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the only publisher that was interested in this game apparently was Virgin Interactive. Why they would publish it only in Japan, I don't know, because Virgin Interactive, I believe, is based out of the States or the UK. Yeah. So kind of strange that they would publish this one maybe they just saw it and were like oh it's a shmup it'll do well <laughs> yeah um, it, it was it's, it's 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 actually a run and gun and a shmup because it, it kind of takes the best of both worlds it's a run and gun you know similar as you said to the turkin series with pre-rendered graphic graphics which were originally supposed to be hand-drawn and instead they they changed the pre-rendered because of how well donkey kong country did with uh, pre-rendered graphics so they kind of you know took took up the the, the, the challenge to make the graphics pre-rendered. and It's a very visually stunning game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I consider it Jim Power 2.0 or Jim Power R2. <laughs> see that? I can see that. Definitely. I like how driving this track is, but the only complaint that I have is there's one note that is just too... It's not high-pitched, but it's just slightly off. You know? Not like in the way that Daffy Duck, Duck Truck track... <laughs> not in the way that Daffy Duck track was... In the that's a that's a tongue twister right there, where like you had a lot of notes that were like really intentionally off key. Yeah. This one like the note is on key, but it's like so pronounced that it like is almost ear numbing. I guess is the only way I can put it. It's like. Yep, I'm listening to that exact part right now. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and like the rest of the synths are very like kind of lower. On the on the sound spectrum, there you know, in terms of where they're coming from, it's you know, it's a, it's a lot like lower, kind of like grungy sounding. Yeah. But you've got those high pitched synths that kind of come in for that lead line, and it's just so overpowering that it kind of kills the track at points. It's a good track. I like it. I just that's my only complaint is that like you know, I know what they were going for. I just didn't think it works. It's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. I consider a nice little breakdown. I don't know. I think the whole flow goes well from like the synths and just the the and the beat gets like fresher, you know. And it's like oh yeah. And uh, of course the like ah oh, just like completes it. Yeah. And that like I love those yeah. synths. Yeah. Like the the synth um, opera style vocals, like the vocal track yeah, kind yeah. of that comes in. That's yeah. really cool. And that, I'm trying to remember the the level that this was. Was it was it one of the this was, was one of the, yeah, the space right? the yes, freaking yeah. so much parallax scrolling. The freaking yes. bleeds my eyes. Like, 
I gym mm -hmm. power doesn't bother me, but that stage I saw it like how it scrolled and I was just like I was actually getting motion sick. I was like, damn, this game actually caused me to feel sick just looking at it. There's so much in that level. It is amazingly That's impressive coming from you, just because I know how big of a Jim Power fan you are. I can't remember, was, how did you find out about Jim Power and The Lost Dimension 3D? Did you find out about it on your own, or what? Because I was a huge fan uh, of that uh, game. Tibbles. Joshua Tiberius. Oh, was Tibbles? Oh, he yes, was our the, friend, our mutual friend. He was the first to bring it to my knowledge. Yes, yeah, man. And then, you know, he had to, you know, Nico had to lather himself up good <laughs> with some Jim Power. Oh my God. And also some Rendering Ranger. Well, more recently with Rendering Ranger, but yeah, I mean... That's it's definitely my kind of game. It's European that design, and it's of course the the side scrolling sections and the shmup sections mm -hmm. like Jim Power. Definitely my style yeah. kind of game with a fantastic soundtrack that culminates together, which absolutely is just awesome. Good stuff. So Stefan Kramer. Every time I say the word Stefan, I almost want to follow it with Arkel. Arkel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I had to pause. Uh, he's only worked on this game, so that's his credit. But Otherwise, Jesper Olsen, who did additional music and is credited for sound effects, he's also credited as the quote-unquote music system for this game. He did Turn It in 1990, Cover Girl Strip Poker in 1991. Oh. Yeah, he did the PC Beeper, Roland, and AdLib music on that one. <laughs> uh, George Galaxo, I don't know, I'm not familiar with a lot of these games. And Ugly Prince Duckling was his last game in 2006. Jesus. So, yeah, interesting. What interesting names so, of games. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Quite a gap, like an 11-year gap between soundtracks. Then he disappeared, poof, into the night like a, a knight. Not a ninja, but a knight. a knight. All right, Justin, what is your next track? Next up, we're going to listen to the Jawa Sandcrawler track from Super Star Wars. That uh, was released on the SNES in 1992. Composer on this one is Paul Webb. Paul Webb. All right, let's hit it.
Welcome back. That was from Super Star Wars in uh, 1992. That was the Jawa Sandcrawler track, composed by Paul Webb. I have one word for this track. You teeny! Because <laughs> that's all I heard while playing this game, was the Jawas crying out, You teeny! Every time they oh, died. Yeah. yeah, no. This is also a very minimalist track, considering everything else that's on today's episode. There, There is not as much going on in this track, which is sort of one of the reasons that I picked it. You can hear it gives more focus to the instruments that are going on. Mm-hmm. I also really sort of enjoyed this track. This was one of the levels that I spent the most time in. Oh, yeah. Because the Sandcrawler levels... It's such a pain in the butt. Such a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> it also felt like it made sense in the in the game like the the track itself because it's so minimalist sort of feels like lonely in a word i, I don't know if that if, if that's exactly what i was looking for but like especially when you're in the sand crawler mm-hmm. there's not really a whole lot there like there's the jawas that are running around that you have to murder um, murder every, everything everything else <laughs> so it's, not, it's just... not even droids it's like the jawas aren't bad characters in, in the movies but no. in, the, in the game you, you're murdering you them by the dozen killing them. like yeah like by they, the dozen. all they did was they took r2d2 and for that they must all die yeah yeah clearly <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's them luke and a handful of not droids but robots mm-hmm. that are in the sand crawler like there's the automatic floor panels that open up and shoot you with fire and right. stuff it's a very lonely level like yeah. you're very isolated and the track i feel sort of gives that kind of an atmosphere i don't know how in the world i beat these games as a kid but i beat all the three star wars games these are all super difficult for the Super NES. I remember just renting them and just sitting down and playing through them all. I was obsessed with Star Wars in middle school, Mm. so this was like a real treat. I remember renting them right around the time when the special editions were coming out in the theater. And so it was just like a dream to be able to play like a Star Wars game. I remember when I saw Star Wars Shadow of the Empire and saw footage for that. That was the um, N64 one Uh, based on the book. Yep. And I remember seeing the visuals for that. A friend of mine had gotten that game as a gift for his birthday. And I remember just like sitting there and watching these visuals and be like, I don't think video games are ever going to look better than this. Like, <laughs> I was like, nope, impossible. It'll never happen. Yep. What did you think about this one, Nico? I thought it's much like the Daffy Duck track. It's very fitting for the game and the level and what it's getting right. across. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's got that Star Wars vibe. Like I could hear uh, this being scored by John Williams. John Williams. Yes, absolutely. I myself have never been a big fan of the Star Wars games. Oh no! I mean, I could play them and enjoy them, but I'm not huge. I'm not a big fan. They're still fun games. They're very tedious yeah, and difficult. <laughs> they're very tedious and they demand. They're very demanding. They yeah. demand a lot of attention and a lot of focus, if you will. They're they're very grueling is the word I would probably use for yeah. them. I this was the only one that I ever actually owned. I never owned Super uh, Empire, Super Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. I have played them and I have not gotten very far. Oh my either god, they're so hard. I Especially recall, Return of the Jedi. Oh, oh yeah. god, I do recall beating this one when I when I was a kid. I obviously have lost that ability to, to mm. do that as, a, as an adult mm. you know the, they just get progressively harder as they go and more and more unforgiving it's a tough cookie nope. <laughs> that's why there's cheats exactly. for them <laughs> yes I wanted to return a little bit to talking you know kind of wrap up talking about the Super NES and the sound chip so the SDSP or S-DSP this is capable of producing and mixing eight simultaneous voices at the same time at any kind of relative pitch and volume in 16-bit stereo sound. The sample rate is about 32 kilohertz, 
and it has support for voice panning where voices you know kind of go back to back from left speaker to right speaker adsr envelope control echo with filtering which is via a programmable eight tap fir which i'm not too familiar with a lot of this technical stuff fir is finite impulse response and then ADSR is, there's something called an ADSR envelope or attack, decay, sustain, release, hmm. which that is what that is. Attack time, decay time, sustain level, and release time. All for different elements of music as far as like tracks and how to utilize music on these. So pretty interesting stuff. Also want to mention that the sound samples for the S-DSP are stored in RAM. And they're compressed in a BRR format. BRR is a bit rate reduction, basically to shrink the size of the file. So Mm -hmm. that way, when it's compressed like that, that way it's not taking up as much space. They did this. This was a very common trick that they did a lot on the N64 as well. A lot of tracks were compressed. The audio was compressed. So when you listen to like soundtrack versions of most like like disc-based versions, like the Perfect Dark soundtrack, for example... All those uh, songs were compressed for the N64, so they sound definitely a lot clearer, a lot more crisp sounding on CDs. CDs or the, the, the actual proper soundtrack. Yeah. And then communications between the S-SMP and the S-DSP are carried out via a memory-mapped I.O., also known as a uh, isolated I.O. So, sorry to get super technical. Ed is a lot better at getting into deep, gritty detail about this type of stuff. But I, I did want to kind of touch on a lot of it just because it is super important to kind of know the limitations and the hardware that it used. It's very similar to MIDI, I believe, in a lot of mm. ways. The development manual for the Super Nintendo has some interesting information. So I'm going to read this verbatim. It's a Sony SPC 700 series, which is used in the CPU core of the Super NES sound source. It's possible to access an address space of 64 kilobytes in the SPC series CPU address classification of the memory space is made according to purpose. Addresses 0000H through 00FFH are called page 0 and addresses 0100H through 01FFH are called page 1. And in regard to the data in this region, when direct page designation is carried out by the direct page flag, also known as P, Within the program status word, it is possible to carry out data processing in wide-ranging addressing modes with a small number of machine cycles. Uh, Within the CPU, there are the universal registers AX and Y, program status word PSW, of the various flags and program counter PC and stack pointer SP. To summarize, if we were to ever have an episode of Pixel Tunes Radio called Pixel Boob Radio, Nico told me during the break that he would want to be on that episode. Uh, yes. <laughs> and the episode would completely focus on hot video game chicks and their songs. And, <laughs> yes, and their most importantly, their songs. <laughs> their, yeah, yeah. Most importantly, their songs. Uh, yes. I actually realized now that we couldn't do... Lara Croft, because hers are not pixelated, they are... Well, polygonal? Polygonal? Polygamy. Polygonal? Polygonal? Yeah, let's go with that. All right, now that we've lost all our female listeners, uh, let's let's go to our next track, which is my pick. Oh, and also, by the way, Paul Webb, just to kind of go back to Paul Webb before we jump to my track, he's done a ton Mm. of mostly licensed games, like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He did Pac-Mania in 91, Monopoly, 
Tecmo NBA basketball and Super NBA basketball. Daydream and Davey in 92, Kingdom Crusade in 92, Mortal Kombat 94. He was the sound support or musical type support guy. WWF WrestleMania in 95, Space Jam in 96. He did sound design on his last game. And again, I bounced all over the place. He has way more credits than these. But his last game was NCAA College Football 2K2 Road to the Rose Bowl. And that was in the glorious year of 2001. All right, so anyways, yeah, moving along. Now, this game is a Super Famicom track that I picked. It's not an exclusive to, to just Japan. Actually, the PAL regions also got this game. It's called Hebereke's Popoido. I know Ed's a big fan of this game and this track, most likely. Uh, 1995 was the year of release, and again, this track is stages three and five. We'll get into who it's composed by or what it's composed by after the break. Let's give it a listen. That was Hebereke's Popoido, the 1995 release, stages three and five. The composers are most likely kind of like unofficial. There's no way to 100% guarantee that this is the case, but we believe that the composers are Noriaki Urata, Kazuo Ni, and Hiroshi Tsukamoto, with sound driver by Akito Takuchi. So Akito Takuchi apparently wrote the Saturn version, but they didn't have any music in the Super Nintendo version of the game. So we think that maybe they just did the sound driver. The reason why, and this was actually provided, this info was provided to us, thankfully, from Ed. Ed said that they are uncredited for the game, but the game's sequel, Hebereke no Popun, has music that is almost identical in style and sound. Yeah. So most likely they returned to do that game. So my personal feelings on this track is I love the track, but it sounds like if you got a group of penguins together and had them write a techno song. <laughs> First off, I love the, you know, it's got those like 90s like style, like techno, like but then you throw in the random awesome animal sounds, the, <laughs> the squeaking. <laughs> yeah, like the little like chirping. I love it. It's This track is adorable and bouncy and fun. It's got a great cadence to it. I dig it. It's awesome. I was really kind of surprised by this track. Mm. I, I didn't know what to think of it, but now that I'm listening to it, I'm like, wow, this is just 
awesome. Nico, thoughts? Oh yeah, I agree wholeheartedly that statement. Gameplay-wise, Sunsoft may have dropped off, but they could still keep their sound good and awesome. And this Sunsoft game certainly does. It's like, it's funny, because this was released in 95, same year as Rendering Ranger 2. Like, you could like put these on like yeah. a club mix. It's like, you got that Rendering Ranger track, <laughs> and then it's like, all right, we're going to step it up a bit with this. And it's like, bam, 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 and everyone's hopping and bumping yep. in the club. It's... It's fitting. I just feel like they'd be hopping and bumping around the club, like dancing or whatever. But then they'd, they'd hear the noises and be like, did somebody let like a bunch of penguins loose in here? Like, what's going on? Uh. Yeah. So what do you think of the track, Justin? I agree with what's already been said. It is super freaking cute. Mm-hmm. It's funny. You said you feel like it's, if you got a bunch of penguins together to, yeah. to write a techno track, I, I would say almost the same thing. Like yeah. uh, it, a bunch of penguins or, or puffins or like puffins. stupid, cute bird type animals mm-hmm. to write like an electronic dance track absolutely um, it's, that's totally it, plausible it, it's so it's so bouncy it's so silly mm-hmm. um the, the the squeak sounds um the, and the squeaking sounds fit in too like i don't know that it would be the same without the occasional yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> little uh <laughs> little bits in there mm-hmm. um it, it, i mean it absolutely fits the game too the the, the game is, is bright and cute and bouncy and silly and the track is just so much fun to just sit and bop to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's Puyo Absolutely. Puyo, basically, this game. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Puyo Puyo meets Dr. Mario. Yeah, exactly. Saying. Yeah, the the game is very similar to, to both of those titles. It's, visually speaking, it's it's more like Puyo Puyo, I would say, than Dr. Mario, because you're not dealing with pills. You're dropping these little like blob character thingies. And what I found was really interesting is the characters are on the screen, like, depending on which stage you're playing, the enemies will be kind of, like, slowly walking back and forth on the play field. Mm. And until you place your puzzle piece on them, they will continue to move. So they'll kind of, like, walk back and forth. So it's kind of stressful because, like, you want to be able to, like, make sure that you get it on them. But if they moved, like, right before you put it on, you're like, ah, oh, darn. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun, though. We had a blast playing through this game. It's a lot of fun. Hepareke is uh, a series, actually, that Sunsoft is, is kind of the sponsor of. They created it. And they're just these, like, super cute, adorable characters. There's one that is actually, a, it looks like a penguin. And uh, he's got a little hat on, like a little snow cap, and his name's Bop Louie. <laughs> There's another one who's like a little cat that's in like a little cat costume, and that's uh, Freon Leon. There's another one that's a ghost with shades on, sunglasses, and he has a hat and he has wings on top of the hat, and his name is Shades. Slim Shady? <laughs> no, just Shades. Oh, I know. Shades. Uh, there's another one which uh, the Japanese name of this character is Jennifer. But the character's name is Gil in the PAL release. <laughs> and this character is a green lizard-like character with a little yellow ball on its head, kind of similar mm. to Mog yeah. from Final Fantasy. There's also a character named Utsu or Utsujin, and that's an alien kitty. Onion? Onion. onion. Let's go with Onion. Yeah. yeah. That's a space pirate who's wearing like a spiked hat. Then there's Penchan. Which Penchan is like, it looks like Freon Leon the cat, but instead of being in a cat suit, they're in a penguin suit. And then there's Bobo, or Boo Boo Dory, who's like a mother bird, with the voice is like a male chain smoker. <laughs> so they walk around like, oh yeah, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, no, I'm Boo Boo, that's me. So, oh, Rocco. Too good. <laughs> yeah, oh, Rocco. 
<laughs> Miss Bighead. So the, the characters may be familiar to those who have played Euphoria, the saga, because that is the... It's also called Hebereke in Japan. Uh, that is an awesome game that I definitely recommend people check out that is really cool. It's like a non-linear game developed by Sunsoft. Kind of like a non-linear action game where you use these characters to rescue other characters in the Hebereke universe. So... Definitely recommended game. Yeah, the, the Hebereke series is great. I love all the little goofy characters, and they're a lot of fun. And so this this game just really kind of nails that whole feeling. And apparently there was a sequel, which we talked about, Hebereke's Papoon as well. And so, you know, definitely a cool little hidden franchise that, uh, you know, I think people will, will dig if they check out. So good stuff. It's good stuff. Nico, final thoughts on, on Hebereke? It is adorable. And let's get more of those beep, 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 penguin noises. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so we are moving into what is the longest to-date song on Pixel Tunes Radio History, courtesy of Nico. Nico, what do you got for us? All right, I know I keep saying this. I got something good for you. The best of the best. <laughs> this is yes. the track Alpha Seti from 1993's Utopia, the creation of a nation. By the one and only Barry Le- Leach. Leach. Uh, Leach. Leach. Barry Leach. All right, let's pull up a chair and grab some lemonade because this <laughs> is going to be some groovy tunes. Let's check it out. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Nico. Mike. What did you do? I gave you a great song. <laughs> you did give us a good track. This is a very long one. Jeez, wow. Yes. So what is this? Well, this, this was, in. of course, Alpha Seti, the track from 1993's Utopia, the Creation of a Nation by Barry Leach. The 1993 release. Yes, Utopia... Creation of a Nation was a game released on the, uh, I think it was the Amiga first. It was also on the Atari SC and MS-DOS. I believe that the Amiga yes. version was the first version, or both that and DOS. It was, yeah. yeah. It was 1991 on the Amiga, Atari ST, and the MS-DOS. Uh, yes, and this is a, what is it, a strategy, build your own nation simulation kind of game? I don't know. It's a type of game I am not familiar with, do not have any expertise, nothing of how to play this. Mm -hmm. I tried it for like once. Like a year ago, I couldn't get anywhere, and I just was like, man, thank goodness that you can just chill back and listen to the music. I'm sure that's what people who own this <laughs> game back in the day did. They were just like, damn, the soundtrack's hot. Yeah, I, I believe that they call this, uh, th th this is one that we would previously on Pixel Tunes call a soundtrack delivery system. Yes. <laughs> if, if you will. That's what this game is. Quite. What do you think of this one, Justin? The, the the song itself was was really neat. I, I don't often use that word. <laughs> I don't mean it like in a bad way. It's it's not something that I've particularly heard before. It's very relaxing. Uh, and taking a look at the game and like the some some of the screenshots and, and what the gameplay is all about, it it, it looks kind of like almost like a Sim City ish kind of uh, like a city builder type thing. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. Like I said, the, the song itself is fairly relaxing, which I think you really need in a game like this. The, the music was more hectic. It makes it harder to actually play the game, especially with all the micromanagement stuff that you have to do with it uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's something. The, the song <laughs> lends well to, to this style of game. This game is not at all my kind of game, mm -hmm. personally. Not my cup of tea. I do not like strategy building games where you have to build cities. That is like, give me a calculator. I'll have more fun. I'll write like boobies on the calculator or something like that, you know? Like that, just, oh man, then not my type of game at all. But I will say, I, I will slightly disagree with you regarding the music being chill. I would say that it's chill up until that speaking spell comes in and and, <laughs> and bursts through the wall and tries to eat your children. That, like that's that's a fair no, point. Like, that's that's bang, stuff. Bang. Of, yeah, I mean, I liked it. Don't get me wrong, but to go from this like kind of Dean Evans kind of like spacey like do 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 mm. like really like chill, you know da 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 to go from something like that to <laughs> like I, I feel like this is what I'm seeing and feeling as far as this track goes. I feel like it's you're listening to the track and you're getting chill and spacey and you're playing the game and you're starting to fall asleep because this game is boring. <laughs> so you're you're playing the game and you're like, man, this is a really good track, man. I kind of want to take a nap. And at right as you're about to like fall asleep with the SNES mouse in your hand, all of a sudden you just hear, and you're like, what? Well, I'm up. Uh, it's 6 a.m. I gotta go to work. Like, I, I feel like that is what's going on with this track. You know, it's keeping you up, so that way, you know, it's keeping things lively and changing. And part of the reason why I feel like that's the case is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Barry Leach, maybe if we do get a, an opportunity to talk to Barry Leach in the future and at some point in time, which we'd love to do, he would have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that when you have a track that's this long, you can't just make the track the way it is. You have to like splice together multiple tracks 
in order mm. for the track to succeed as one single track. And so if this track is one single song like this, then I'm totally wrong and I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that was always my thing about this. Um, there's another track that we played on a previous episode. I believe it was the ending episode that we did with Cam Worma. And that was Shadow of the Ninja, which Shadow of the Ninja has this track which seems like it's two tracks kind of stitched together mm -hmm. in a way where like the one part of the track ends and then it's it's more like a very somber sort of track very similar to this and then it kicks off with like hi-hats and then it kicks into this like awesome driving energy like high energy ikumizutani uh tr style track like you know hiroyuki watsuki like that that style of super important like you did a thing track <laughs> You know, and, and so I kind of feel like that's the same thing here with Utopia. Barry Lee stitched together uh, two tracks to make one track, but he'll have to correct me. Yeah, if that ever <laughs> does happen, that would be quite the good information to get out of him. And Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's the very first question that I would ask him. I'd be like, uh, Mr. Leach, WTF, what's going on with this track? Like, please give me the background because I'm very intrigued on how that hardware worked. But I would say that the Amiga comparison as far as the hardware goes, is very similar to the Super NES in a lot of ways. A lot of Amiga-style games, or games that were on the Amiga, I find that Europeans, uh, you know, because the, the Amiga was a primarily European computer-based mm. system, it, it was able to transition those games over to the Super NES quite well, actually. So I, I kind of feel like this game is definitely a much more Amiga-paced game because that was the style of games that were coming out back then. Oh, so God, yeah. You know what I mean? So to convert something like that over to the Super NES, it, it must have been a pretty daunting task. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, so. this whole thing, I mean, this does scream, it screams Amiga, like just like, this was originally <laughs> Amiga, and obviously many people agree that the original Amiga soundtrack is the superior version. Now, I listened to the Super Nintendo version here first, and then I went to listen to Mega Version. Both are great, much like Jim Power, Mutant Planet, Jim Power Lost Dimension, same, you know, thing going on. Both are unique in their own rights and should have their own listen on the, each soundtrack. Mm -hmm. um, I prefer the Super Tender. I like how much more, to me, it is calmer. It, it might be the YouTube version that you're listening to with like that bramper bra that make it, may, might make it sound bad. The RSN file I have, it's a lot more tamer. Right. And just. Yeah, that's a possibility. God, the soundtrack's so good. And what's nice about the Super Nintendo <laughs> version is it has an exclusive track, uh, Gamma Lucra, which uh, there's only four on the uh, Amiga version. And all the tracks are just, they're so nice to listen to. And what I really like is back a couple, about a year or year and a half ago, I posted this uh, track specifically on, you know, like game music thing on Reddit, saying like, this is beautiful mm -hmm. and it needs more love. And Barry Leach actually commented on it. I believe this is the actual account for Barry just because of how it, you know, he's talking about how this is his music and right. he's just all like um what do you say he says honestly i can't stand hearing the snes version my hands were tied with the lack of pitch bending and the pulse sweep effect mm -hmm. that really needed pitch bends which if some people mm -hmm. you know describe like the supertone doesn't sound as good as the uh, amiga it's this whole pitch bend thing might be why and the fact that uh, yeah that makes sense it wouldn't let us change the tempo <laughs> either and it's that's very interesting to hear you know just mm -hmm. another insight into the compositional and just limitations that mr leach had which god yeah. god bless you man you made yeah i think you made the sound magnificent on the super nintendo good mm -hmm. sir yeah i agree especially for these um, these long of tracks 
Like, who, who yeah. else could do that? Oh, absolutely. Barry Leach actually worked on something called M-Edit, which is also known as the Ocean MIDI Editor. Uh, it's a tracker program created by somebody named Leslie Long. Hmm. And so it was pretty much what was used in-house at Ocean Software for them to be able to compose music for like DOS and Super NES tracks. Pretty interesting stuff. It was actually modeled after another tracker called Octomed, which Ocean used to make their Amiga stuff. That's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see the compatibility between those two. But yeah, they are both MIDI-based, sample and MIDI-based for the record. So interesting little track. Barry Leach, no stranger to the podcast. We played him so, so many times. I I just, (laughs) you know, Lethal Weapon. We played a track off of that on the, I believe it was either the Amiga or the Super NES or both. I think it might have been both, uh, in all honesty. I think... I think we also played him on something Back to the Future related, possibly. Say, yeah. Maybe yeah, one of his NES tracks? I'm not entirely sure. I know we've played him multiple times, though. So, Oh, Top Gear. We played him on Top Gear mm. for the racing track that he did. Um, you know, pretty infamous for doing like Top Gear. I believe he also did Lotus Games, Lotus Challenge. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, he's a great composer, and we'd love to have him on the show. So, you know, hopefully one of these times we can get him on. All right, Justin, your final pick. What do you got for us? So my last track is not as obscure as, as anything else we're doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is from Gradius 3 in uh, 1990 or 1991, depending on whether it was released in yeah, Japan what, or North depending America. Depending on the region, right? Um, I think the American release was 1991. The track is Aqua Illusion from the Bubble Stage, uh, and the composers on this are Kazuki Muraoka, Kazuhiko Urahara, Yuki Morimoto, and Harumi Ueko. Cool. Alright, let's uh, shoot it up! Welcome back to Pixel Tunes. That was the Aqua Illusion track from Gradius 3, released in 1991 in North America, by Kazuki Muraoka, Kazuhiko Urahara, Harumi Ueko, and Yuki Morimoto. Yes. Gradius 3. 
Definitely the most popular song uh, of the podcast, I would say. Probably the most well-known. But the track itself, not as well-known. I'd say it's more of a, a deep cut, if you will. Yeah. And I really do dig this track. I think that it's more fitting for what's going on. I think that first track that you hear in the game the yeah you know the that track is more i could totally drive around and blast the crap out of that song on my it's kind of iconic too but yeah yeah absolutely but this is more like fitting for what's going on i feel like there's so much happening that the game is slowing down because you know it's the super <laughs> nes and uh you know whenever there's anything insane happening on it there's just a sprite limitation where there's just too much going on yeah. and very similar to the nes it would just start to kind of slow down the frame rate really takes a dive yeah and that was actually one of the reasons that i like this game mm-hmm. is i i'm not big on on shmups mm-hmm. or bullet hells or anything in that genre but Radius 3 is one of my favorites because of the fact that when you get into things, especially in this level, mm-hmm. this is the, it's not really a water level, I guess it's the bubble level. Um, yeah. the, the edges of the screen are like water. Yeah. But there there's always ends up being so much on screen because eventually you get part through the level and these giant bubbles are floating around. Mm-hmm. And as you pop them, they split into smaller bubbles. Yeah. And then there's just like 2,000 things on screen and, and you can dodge things a little more easily as long as you have the space. Right, right. Yeah, I really like this, this track and this level mm-hmm. and this game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As far as the game itself, this was one of the first Super NES games that I owned. Mm. And uh, I I do remember having uh, a lot of fun with it. I would also say that this was probably one of the first shmups I ever played. The second being UN Squadron, Mm. which I also owned and who I've talked so much about in the past as it was really my go-to for shooters. If I wanted to play a shooter you know UN Squadron's getting played. And (laughs) both games suffer from tremendous slowdown. But I always thought it was a good thing because it would allow you the opportunity to focus on what you needed to do. And that's kind of why I liked shmups on the Super Nintendo more than the Genesis. But granted, (laughs) the Genesis games that are shmups are are so phenomenal. I mean, just... Off the top of my head, anything by, uh, I think his name is Tatsuya Uemura, but don't quote me on that. He did Zero Wing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He did Hellfire. You know, those are just two games. I think he also did Twin Cobra, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. All just phenomenal games, phenomenal soundtracks, really good, fast-paced Genesis shmups. Elemental Master, Battle Mania Daiginjo, and Troubleshooter, both really fun shooters. So the, the Genesis really was where it was at when it came to shooters. Not that the Super Nintendo couldn't also do shmups, but I really do feel like the Genesis was able to do them better. Yeah. You know? Genesis does in this case. <laughs> what, what about you, Nico? I've never heard of this game. Gra- Gradius? Gradius? Gra- Gradius. Gradius. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, great, great, great. Yeah, I, and this, I, Ius. I thought this track great was Ius. so good. So underrated. Like, forget the Green Lantern track for being underrated. I've never, I don't think anyone's ever heard this track before. <laughs> I, that's this dumb shtick I'm pulling. But no, I mean. As oh, far as you're, you're giving Justin a ribbing, <laughs> no, I just it's all right. It's no, all right. no, no, no. I just, I mean, when it does come to Gra- uh, Gradius three, I'm actually not super familiar with the sound. It's definitely Aqua Illusion. Like, I don't sure. really. I only play like the first level, and then I'm like, I get die, and I'm like, screw this game. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and when I did get to it, I was just like, oh, nice. I like it. Fits well. These bubbles slowing down my game to two frames. Mm-hmm. I like it. I can, I can maneuver <laughs> yeah, yeah. and survive a little bit longer, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's fitting. It's fitting for Gradius. I mean, yeah. you can't can't go wrong. I've always been more of a fan of Gradius 2, but that's okay. just 
you know, just to say that. Uh, even Greatest One, I don't like that much, both for this music and the game itself. I think it's just because the mm -hmm. second one has voice samples, and I like that. I'm a sucker for voice samples yeah. on my oh, NES right. games. Speed up. Speed Slow up. down. Like, yeah, you can tell that quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, yep. Greatest 3, I mean, it's it's so good. It is good. It is good. Yeah. And music is wonderful all throughout. Mm -hmm. And I would say Agreed. it counts for a deep cut because I think most people will just be like, that first track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So that's Gradius 3. We're going to go over the composers real quick. So Kazuki Muraoka has done a ton of stuff, starting out uh, as a music editor in Super Contra 1998, backing up actually doing sound effects in Rock and Rage 1986. Obviously, Gradius 3 says 1990, Metal Gear Solid in 2000, some of the Beat Mania games, it was a sound supervisor, sound programmer, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty. A lot of Metal Gear Solid stuff. We've yeah. talked about them before. Yeah. Wow, tons. Even up to uh, The Phantom Pain in yep. 2015. Yeah. And did some sound for a Yu-Gi-Oh! game in 2002. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. He's done a bunch of like sound direction and sound editing and yep. sound, sound support. Yeah. Mostly like a sound support guy. Oh, dude, he was... He was a sound creator in Top Gun 1987. Yes. Everybody's played that game. <laughs> Next up, we have Kazuhiko Urahara. And they started out... Doing sound effects in Vampire Killer in 1986. Yes. Did some musical arrangement for Snatcher in 1988. Composed some music also for Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. That was the MSX oh, sequel, right? For, for not the, uh, the, the not the NES Metal Gear 2, which was not good. Or right, not right. as good. Did a lot of sound production on a number of games, including NBA Give and Go, Mystical Ninja starring Goemon, and some international superstar soccer games. Mm -hmm. It's like the last game that they did audio on where they were lead sound producer on International Superstar Soccer 3 in 2003. Yeah. Also a lot of sound production and composition, but mostly like sound design, sound yep. production. As far as the other two, Yuki Morimoto worked on uh, just a couple titles, Vulcan Venture in 1988, Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse in 1989, Gradius 3 of course, did sound editing on, that's what they're credited for, Tiny Toon Adventures Buster Bust Loose, which the other composer Kazuhiko Uihara also worked on, Ganbare Goemon Gaiden 2 Tenka no Zaiho in 1992. There were actually quite a few Gambare Goemon games, uh, also known as the Legend of Mystical Ninja series uh. in the US. So yeah, they worked on Gambare Goemon 3 Shishi Jurokubi no Karuku in 94, and then 95 Gambare Goemon Kira Kira Doshu Boku ga Dancer ni Nata Wake. So definitely a big time Ganbare Goemon person. And then Harumi Ueko worked on mostly, honestly, Konami stuff. Gyrus in 1988, sound creation on that. Top Gun, the second mission for NES, Cosmic Wars in 89, SD Snatcher in 1990. Jumping ahead a little bit, again with Ganbare Goemon Gaiden, Kita Ogun Kisuru, which I believe is the Game Boy game, possibly. If not, then no, it's an NES game. Uh, it's an RPG of the Goemon series. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, and also Tournament Fighters. They did sound design and sound editing on, respectively. Lethal Enforcers in 94. Jumping ahead, Castlevania Dracula X in 95. And jumping ahead, their final game, Beat Mania, IIDX 15 DJ Troopers in 2008. They did new song composition and remixers and arrangers. So, yeah. Lots of composers, all really good stuff, mostly Konami stalwarts. Mm. So, my final pick 
for this episode is The Great Battle 4, and this came out in 1994, and it's the track Floating World Martom, also known as the Force Stage, and it is composed by Norihiko Togashi. Welcome back! That was a face melter, if I ever played one before. That was The Great Battle 4, the 1994 Super Famicom exclusive track. The song was Floating World Martom, also known as Fourth Stage. The track is by Norihiko Togashi, who has done some pretty fantastic, yet very unknown work. Games like Burning Force in 1990, Ultraman in 91 for the Super NES. He's worked quite a bit on the Great Battle series, composed for Great Battles 3, 4, and 5. Also did Great Battle 2 and Kamen, or Kamen Rider, rather, Kinuku Man, Dirty Challenger, and Crayon Shinchan, he's done a couple Crayon Shinchan games. Bomberman Quest in 1998, Crisis Beat in 1998, and Power Drift in 1998. He also did some work for Sierra on Roberta Williams' Phantasmagoria in 1997. He was the sound programmer on that. Uh, he also did Pocket Fighter, the Wonderswan version in 2000, Speedy Gonzalez Aztec Adventure for the Game Boy Advance. He was the sound creator on that, and his last game he worked sound effects on, Disaster Report in 2002. So, The Great Battle 4 is part of the Kampata Hero series. And it's kind of like a crossover for a bunch of... It's made by Band Presto. And it's kind of like combining a bunch of Sentai heroes or like monster heroes sort of thing. Not like Godzilla, but like Ultraman, Kamen Rider, and Mobile Suit Gundam. The Mobile Suit Gundam character, we believe, uh, from what I understand, is like a female character in a Gundam. I think in this one it is. Yeah. Because there are many, many different Gundams throughout right. the iterations that they've done. And then there's, like, another character, which I've never seen before. It's, like, a, a blue-haired anime kind of looking character that looks almost like a cat a little bit. It, it looks like one of the characters from Yu Yu Hakusho to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, like, something from Samurai Pizza Cats. Like, mm. an angry Samurai Pizza Cats That's character. That's fair, too. <laughs> this game is, in my opinion, like, a lot more different than the other Great Battle games. We talked about the Great Battle on the NES a couple episodes ago. I think it was, like, a free pick episode where I found this track, or Ed found this track. I can't remember what it was from, but uh, it was from a Great Battle game that came out on the NES. Hmm. And the music was, like, straight up Mega Man. Like, it was really good stuff. And here we kind 
kind of have a revisiting to that style. Sound-wise, this is like a very like Mega Man X style track, and it takes place in a stage that really kind of looks like it's right out of Storm Eagle. Yeah. From <laughs> Mega Man X. Yes, outside, windy, yes. stormy. The windy city. Yeah, stormy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I love this track. It is great. I love those guitars, those simpatico guitars yeah. that are like a slight octave off the double guitar kind of style. That it's like a great Japanese action track. It's very fitting for this style of gameplay, which is a side-scroller shooter, uh, very similar to Mega Man X. Honestly, like style design-wise. The whole thing is like a cuter version of Mega Man X. Mm. And you could switch between those four characters that we talked about. It's three initially, and then you gain the fourth one after you beat the first level. Kamen Rider has like a very silly run, like a double dash like type run. Oh yeah, yeah. it's almost like a Sonic run. Yeah, 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 where he has the rolling feet. Right, right. And he has a flamethrower. And then Mobile Suit Gundam, she has like a rifle like backpack Mm. type thing. And that makes her like fly. She can like burst up to high locations and they can all like wall jump for the most part ultraman has like a grenade launcher kind of yep. thing and then the fourth character has like a machine gun if i recall yeah and a double jump type and a double thing. jump like, um, you, you, you double tap jump and they do like a short burst in like uh, a zigzag yeah kind of like her diagonal yeah, yeah. And then after you beat the level, you go into a boss fight, and the boss fight is pretty much like, very similar to like Chojin Sentai Jetman for the Famicom, where like, you're playing like an action-based game, and then your boss fight is actually a mech battle, if you will. It was very difficult, we couldn't really figure out how to do it, our timing was way off. I don't blame the game necessarily, I I think we just really had no clue how to play it. Yeah, we we did a little bit better once we realized that there were actually like combos. Combo moves you could do, right? Things you could do, but there's a lot to do with the timing and there's also that that scanning aspect that we didn't really understand. Yeah, you can like scan, there's a circle that appears and you can move it along like where the enemy is and then it like goes through them, it's like a see-through thing. And then that tells you where what you need to do but it's all in Japanese Japanese, so like I really couldn't figure it out (laughs) I wanted to love this game and I did walk away from it going I need to buy this and then figure out what the heck's going on so I can enjoy it I wonder if there's a uh, English translation there might be there might be but the game is super cheap I mean you can pick it it up for under 20 bucks (laughs) definitely recommend it if you like Wild Guns the sequel to this uh, Great Battle 5 is basically Wild Guns yeah that's awesome pretty 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 cool Yeah, I feel like they took inspiration from, like, more popular games and just kind of, like, attached the Kampata Hero series, the crossovers, so cool stuff. What what do you think of this one, Nico? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I, of course, got that Mega Man X5 once again. It's, like, stepping up Mm -hmm. from Imperium. It's just got more of the instrumentation that makes it feel like it's, you know, straight up Mega Man X. Oh, absolutely. I think they really did use the sound font from Mega Man X. Oh, yeah. I would not doubt it at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And the game oh, definitely cool. is pretty neat. I like how it looks. I like the combination of all the different like series. It's just a, a little, it's adorable. It's cool. It's it's neat. It's adora cool. It's 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 adora. It's coolable. It's coolable. 
Yeah, it, it's pretty much that sums it up. Graphically, it's very impressive, I, I yeah. thought. Big, huge sprites, like there's a scene in the beginning of the game where like you get to a certain point where you're on the ship type thing, and then the ship just starts careening down. You see like tons, like dozens of explosions all over the place. And then, you know, you see your character kind of like riding on like a slant on this ship as oh, yes. it's going down. It's really cool. Like visually speaking, the game, even though it's got a cutesy style to it with the SD style, it's it's still really cool, like visually. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it looks great. The the animation, on the, the sprite animation, even for the boss battle scene. Yes. Are, are really, really smooth, really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like giant big sprites, yep. you know. Yeah, which, which is weird because it goes from this, this super deformed thing to mm-hmm. the I guess they, they all combine to, to Voltron together into something bigger and then all of a sudden it's a giant mech fight what, what did you say uh, yesterday when we were playing you were like I'll form the head oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so yeah good stuff so that, that closes out our Super Nintendo Super Famicom Deep Cuts episode you know I just kind of wanted an opportunity to discuss some games that we haven't really heard that much from uh, or discuss tracks that you really wouldn't listen to on an average everyday basis. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff that wasn't the, the typical Super NES, like, popular tracks that you would normally hear. I'm sure that we'll do an episode on those someday, mm-hmm. but we play those so often, like, on the show otherwise, that, I, you know, I really wanted to focus on doing something different here <laughs> today. Uh, so we did something interesting last episode, and I've talked to Ed about it, and we're going to continue doing it. Uh, it is... Uh, basically favorite tracks. So at the end of the episode, we want to kind of recap and pick some of the, uh, the the absolute favorite track that we we take away from this episode and we go, you know what, I want to track down this game and buy it, or this was my favorite track and here's, you know, th- this is the reason why, or whatever. So we're going to go with our guest of honor, Nico. What was your favorite track of the podcast? Oh boy, favorite track. There's, there's so many. There's so many good ones. Oh my goodness. So many. There's 12. There's 12 <laughs> and 4 of my own that I would probably choose. Yes. But yes. I think I would probably have to go with the Rendering Ranger R2 because the other okay. three, the Green Lantern track was also rediscovered or discovered recently as well. Uh, I definitely had more time sitting on Utopia and the uh, Stone Protectors music tracks. But Rendering Ranger R2 was definitely the most recent discovery, and I think, and it's been the most beloved to me that I've just mm-hmm. I've always had it like playing whenever I'm coming home from work I'm just like I'm a shot to some of that nice club techno just shot on that stage seven and just uh just relax <laughs> it's and and I definitely gotta I gotta play the game it has it has retro chivos so it will yeah, be man, a great journey to appreciate the pre-rendered graphics and the overall great Design, Greatness. design of that game, which is my cup of tea. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin? So many good tracks all around. Yeah. I, th- I think what came out at the top of this for me, mostly because I'm probably going to now go find this and pick this up. Every, every time I do, do do one of these episodes with you, I, I have to go out and buy games. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to bankrupt me. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Treasure of the, the Rudress, the, the Battle for the Fields. Okay. Uh, okay. That, that, was, that was a really good track. Um, I, I'm, I am a fan of, of JRPGs in, in general, um, and I am a sucker for a good battle theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, looking looking that one up, uh, it's not super expensive to, yeah. to get a repro of no, the English no. translation. Um, and the, the song itself was just really really nice yeah no i agree uh that treasure of the road was definitely one of my top picks i'm actually gonna have to say great battle 4 mm. is gonna be my pick i really love that like i had a lot of fun with the game uh, aside from the really kind of stressful 
boss battles, but I love the music and the experience overall. I just, anything that I can play that fe makes me feel like I'm playing a Mega Man game, yeah. <laughs> and this did, and I love the cutesy characters too. If I had to pick two, I would say Hebereke's Popoido. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely the Great Battle 4 and Hebereke's Popoido are, are, are up there as, as far as my favorite tracks. What were some of your favorite tracks? Post on facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash pixel tunes radio. Join our group and let us know in the comment section for this episode. Tell us what your favorite tracks were. We'd love to hear. So, you know, I wanted to thank Justin for being on the show and subbing in for Ed again. Okay. Uh, definitely much appreciated. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'd love to have you back sometime. And of course, Nico, the Wii guy, always a pleasure chatting with you about video games nico where can we find you on the interweb well yes thanks for having me it's always a pleasure to talk about video game music that is my bread and bread no butter yes, just bread just bread double bread. bread no butter double Whoa, down no butter well no butter what are you doing dude, i don't want to get fat come on <laughs> yo uh, bread and bread and pickles yes and pickles. oh dude Jeez, i'll have pickles dude, on my bread dude butter but like pickles, but no, it's a butter made of pickles. There oh, you go. pickled butter. <laughs> pickled butter. butter. Oh, I feel well. sick. <laughs> Welcome to Pickled Butter Radio. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so yeah, where if can you want to spread over onto uh, my social media, well, not social. Well, <laughs> it's 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 all social in retrospect. Uh, you could find me at YouTube.com/slash/WeGuy309 for 8-Bit Stereo, the thing I'm mostly known for all around the internet. And twitch.tv slash the wee guy underscore ggg, my Twitch channel, where I do that more now because streaming is, I think, the way to go. Yeah, man. And that's gaming yeah, going gone. Yeah, gaming going gone. Right? The ggg. Yeah, that's what it stands for. Yep. Mm hmm. Yes. Indeed. And you do like a lot of, uh, I know you call them chivos in the multi tap Discord when we talk about them, but chivos are basically like the like retro chivos. Retro, retro achievements. achievements. Oh. Yes. The, right. The greatest thing since sliced bread that i found <laughs> retro achievements so good but not but not pickle butter. but not pickle always <laughs> remember that no no that is awesome so thank you very much nico again for being on the show and justin as mm -hmm. well stay tuned next episode episode 106 will be our fourth anniversary episode and of course ed will be back for that episode Yay. so we are excited to welcome him back with open arms <laughs> and open jars of pickle butter it's going to be a blast we're going to I, i'm not a hundred percent sure of what we're going to be doing but it is going to be a fourth anniversary celebration i don't think it's going to be like a favorite tracks sort of thing mm. maybe uh -huh. it will like favorite tracks from the past four four years i don't know but we're gonna def definitely do something special you know maybe not as special as the 100th episode because that took months to prepare mm. but it's gonna be a blast definitely stay tuned for that we've got a ton of stuff coming up for the upcoming year of 2018. So stay tuned to Pixel Tunes Radio. You can check us out at pixeltunesradio.com and also at Pixeltunes Radio on Twitter. You can listen to every episode of Pixel Tunes Radio on either our website or iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcatcher device that you would like to use. You could also watch on youtube.com forward slash dongled, which is my channel, and that's where I do Dude, You Haven't Played This Game, Gaming, Linguistics, and Noob Repair and all other sorts of videos, rants, raves, and good video game related stuff on there. Ed has a podcast as well called Impulse Project that he does with our good buddy Brian from Pixelated Audio. And you can check that out. That's where they do stuff 
and things with music that is not directly from video games, but is using the chips from video games to make it. So good stuff there. Stuff like Commodore 64, Amiga, etc., etc. So good stuff. And that's about it. So again, thank you for listening to Pickled Butter Tunes Radio. Mm. <laughs> and signing off. So thanks, guys. No See you problem. in two weeks. Bye. 2018. Yay.